You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. You are without doubt the worst pirate I've ever heard of. But you have heard of me. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole where uh, hosts from the network and we've got uh, some great friends just drop by talk all things geeky. I am super excited because Ruby has served up some amazing drinks for it this week and back with me are Megan and Alice from Educating Geeks. Hey Matthew. Hey Matthew, I'll raise my glass of rum to you. Woohoo, that's right, that's right, uh, uh why is the rum Why gone? Why is the rum gone? <laughs> Why is the rum gone? Yes, um, folks, we are going to do something fun tonight and just talk about the original Pirates of the Caribbean movie. You know, I, I, I thought about, you know, do we talk about the whole series? And we might cover the other films later on. But originally, I mean, it, it was meant to just be Pirates of the Caribbean. And um, so I figured it would be kind of fun to just talk about the first one because I think that's the one that people universally enjoy the most mm-hmm. it's the Hands other ones down. yeah yeah the other ones that start to lose people especially by the time you get to four there's a fourth um, one so, that, yeah. yeah there's a fourth one and there's going to be a fifth <laughs> oh my one God. fifth one i think they're on more than five aren't they matthew isn't isn't it like the sixth or my god even the seventh that's in production right it now it is uh, well, I think they may have plans for more, but um, in fact, they, it, it's number five. It is five. Huh? Wow. It is five. And um, uh, they've had to push it back because of an injury to Johnny Depp. And so, yeah, they've had a hard time getting that fifth one out. What happened? Um, Did he break his foot on the Millennium Falcon? Um, No, no. That was Han Solo, oh. um, Harrison Ford. But <laughs> maybe Johnny Depp was there. And they were both doing a little, you know, stuff, and um, they both tripped or something. Wow. Uh, who knows? Maybe they tripped each uh, other. <laughs> yeah, they tripped they each tripped other each coming other. down the, the, the aim plank of the Millennium Falcon. So, <laughs> First thing that I thought was so interesting about this movie, it, it just kind of, it's like, it's just a, it's a strange, small world. It, you know, Disney is this massive company. And has been giving us quality entertainment for a very long time. You know, from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs till now. And I remember when they announced the fact that they were going to do Pirates of the Caribbean as a movie. And it was kind of my same reaction that when they had, they said, oh, we're going to do live action Cinderella. And I was like, what? Really? Really? You know, I, I kind of wanted to do one of those Saturday Night Live skits that Seth and Amy used to do. The really, really, <laughs> really with Seth and you're Amy, Walt yeah. Disney and you're going to create Pirates of the Caribbean in a movie. Really, really. I mean, <laughs> but now Matthew, you're tell- Ma- Matthew, now Cinderella, at least that that is a story. Yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean is a it's ride. A ride. You know, this is true. Right? This so is true. Think, You're right. I think th- I, that was certainly my reaction when I heard, and all of my friends were going like, "What's what's the story going to be? Like, what story <laughs> are they going to come up with?" Um, so w- I think they came up with a good one, personally. But there's going to be pirates, um, and they're going to be in the Caribbean, possibly, probably, yeah, probably. Yeah, there Maybe. might be some treasure potentially. Yeah. And some drunken pirates, if I remember the right. Yeah, there you go. Women yeah, around. Yep. 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 Mm-hmm. yep. Yep. Well, and the the bad part about this time period too is that they had done the Country Bears film, which is based off a Disney ride, and it completely had flopped. So at this point, when I I remember hearing this, and I was like, "But really, really, you guys had you, you did Country Bears, and do you remember how badly that turned out? It made like fourteen million dollars in the theater." really uh and so yeah it it was tough to kind of stomach the idea i think as a as a disney fan and um you know just the idea of a, trying to make a good movie a theme park ride i mean this is way before we got like movies made from legos and you know um battleship and things like that so did they you know we had, had we hadn't done that yet had they done the did they do the haunted mansion after this movie or before this it had to have been after they right did it after yeah. this movie because of the success that they had with 
Pirates of the Caribbean, they thought, well, heck, we could turn, you know, the Haunted Mansion with Eddie Murphy into a hit. I mean, you put him in anything, right? Wrong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Nobody saw that movie. You can't put, nothing's a guarantee. Yeah, that's true. And that's, yeah, that's the thing is that, and I think that we have learned that now, especially in Hollywood. You know, you can take something like Lego and turn it into a really fantastic movie um, if you create a good story around yeah. it. Yeah. And, and really, that's what it comes down to. It comes down to the story. And uh, last week, we talked about Iron Man and, you know, Marvel's big risk. They were throwing everything at this because they had pulled out a huge loan to do this. And for that movie, it wasn't just story, but it became casting. Um, you know, and they had to cast the right people in this to pull you in immediately because if they didn't, they're done. Like, there's no more Marvel films, you know. Um, and of course, after that was The Incredible Hulk, and we know that didn't do well. So, Iron Man really had to hit it off and be good and capture the imaginations of people, they're going to be screwed. Um, and I think very much with Robert Downey Jr., that this movie comes comes down to its casting yeah i think you're right well i i i i hate to to pin something solely i mean filmmaking is the most collaborative art form i think that's out there in the world and i don't think i could say hands down that it just comes down to the casting or it just comes down to the story i think it's the combination of both if you have really great actors but a crappy story Sometimes the great actors can't save the story. And if you have a really great story, but crappy actors, you know, sometimes the story can't save the crappy actors. So I think it, for me, it has to be a combination of both. And for me, this film, it's strong, 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 strong in both areas, which is why it was a blockbuster. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I completely agree with you, Alice. I I think you definitely hit the nail on the head is, is look, it isn't just one person that's, it's going to make a film. Um, I, I think, for this movie you know the the casting really has a big impact but so did the fact that they they created a good story um so I definitely want to talk about those two and let we'll start with the casting you know because um pulling Johnny Depp in and and having him do what he kind of does here in the film um you know this is way before Johnny Depp is is doing the likable weirdo all the time (laughs) like every role is just him doing this kind of strange likable weirdo you know this is kind of uh, you know obviously he's done Edward Scissorhands where we've seen Johnny Depp do strange things before Um, but this is the first time that he kind of created that oddball character that everybody falls in love with yeah I think Jack Sparrow is quite a unique character um it's hard not to love him. I'm actually not a big fan of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies in general. This one is the one I can tolerate the most, as we've kind of already discussed. Um, but I think his performance in this movie in particular is kind of what keeps me engaged in the film because he's so funny. It's really unique. And I remember when I saw it in the theater, I didn't even really register that it was Johnny Depp anymore. He was just Jack Sparrow for me. Yeah, I, uh, I I actually adore this movie, and it holds up for me, 100% holds up for me. I've seen it many, many times, and I've enjoyed it every single time I've watched it, including the two times that I watched it on Monday. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's dedication, folks. <laughs> well, I listened to it once uh, solo, and then I, I watched it with the Johnny Depp, uh, George, George, what's his name? Who's the director? What's the director's name? George... Uh, Gore Gore Verbansky uh, their commentary Uh, but I I do I love his performance and uh, he it it is I because I hate it when you when actors become so well known you you can only see the actor in a role and I think he so immersed himself in that character and just gave that character so many ticks and funny looks and body things yeah um (laughs) that it was just a total transformation and it just was so enjoyable to watch and they gave him such great lines of dialogue so yeah yeah i i think that you know the the script really works with him here and i and then i think that 
you know, watching the behind the scenes extras, you can see that Johnny Depp had done a lot of work and, and I think with the director to kind of create a very unique, very special character. And again, this is before Johnny was doing it all the time. You know, he, he hadn't done the Alice in Wonderlands and, and all of the other things that he's done where he's kind of copying the ideas that he had in Pirates films and just kind of transferring them to another character. So yeah, he really does. He disappears into this, you know, and uh, I I really like him. He's so yeah. funny. I mean, from the very first moment that he's on screen. What an entrance. You know, what an entrance. Yeah, it's fan-freaking-tastic. I mean, who who can ride in on a boat that's sinking and still look cool? <laughs> in, a, in a goofy cool. In a goofy cool, It's yeah. a goofy cool. Yes. It's yes. not like a, a Matrix, you know... I'm the one cool. It's a very goofy, funny cool, which I adore. I think the only person who sums it up is is Captain Jack Sparrow when he says, I'm Captain Jack Sparrow, mate. <laughs> you know, like that's the, all the explanation you need is just that he's Captain Jack he's Sparrow. Captain Jack Sparrow, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's awesome. Um, Well, it, it, and it makes me think too, you know, there are films where, I don't think that you can just you could replace them. You know, I I really and and I've been thinking about this for over a week now because we talked about Iron Man and what would have happened if it hadn't been Robert Downey Jr. Who else could have really filled that role? And somebody else is going to fill that role soon because Robert isn't going to be doing it forever. Um but I can't think of another actor that could really have just pulled this together the way that he does and create something so really iconic that as you're watching him, um, you can't take your eyes off screen when he, when he's on and he's on for a majority of the movie, which is great. Um, and you don't, you're not getting tired of what he's doing because he's always kind of surprising you again. We haven't got to that point where we've seen so many movies of him kind of doing this thing that it's old hat. Like this is new. This is funny. This is, this is cutting edge Johnny Depp at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I have a hard time. Uh, <laughs> I just feel like I'm the person doing this, but I, I have a hard time doing the 2020 hindsight. I, I really do enjoy actors when they seem to have totally taken control of a role. And it's really hard for you to envision anyone else doing it because you feel like they've just done this complete job and it just seems to be a natural for them and kudos to them for acting it but that isn't to say that somebody else couldn't have done it you know what I mean like we don't know that because nobody else did it so we don't know if anyone else could do, could do it um, but there are though and I think this is this is definitely one of those performances you know Helen Murin in um, The Queen I think is another one um, Robert Downey Jr. as you said is Iron Man but um you know. Well, I think a lot of casting is the right person at the right time. Mm. Um, and I think Johnny Depp was the right guy at the right time for this movie. Just like I think Robert Downey Jr. I mean, I, I feel like Iron Man like saved his career. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think this brought Johnny Depp's career in a completely different direction as well. And I think he was the right guy at the right time to play it. I'm sure now we could probably find somebody who could do a great job. Um, but... I think at the time he is definitely the best man for the job. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Like I'm not willing to make that call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am not I, omnipotent, I, so I cannot. Well, say I that. am. So. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! Wait a minute. So, what are the lottery numbers for tomorrow? Four, eight, fifteen. <laughs> that is not. That's just the lost numbers. I, I, I'm not falling for that BS. Actually, and today um, is four eight fifteen that it we're is, recording it. it. Is. Yeah, that is true. It is lost day. That's right. As we're recording this, so. Um. You know, I again, I you y'all are are nailing it because it, it is one of those things that you know it's what makes certain movies work and other movies don't. Everything just kind of comes together, um, and it's kismet. You oh. know, it just it it works, and um and and I think that again the casting here, the, the casting directors and the uh, everything they did a great job of of finding the people that work together well, and then the script was great and. Everybody working together created something that just, it's its awesome. Yeah. It's so much fun. It is so much fun. And, 
Yeah, and I'm with you, Alice. I'm, I'll just show my hand. And, this movie's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it totally holds up. Um, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about why later. But yeah, it, it does. So uh, what's what's really cool, too, is, is so next to Johnny Depp is that, you know, we get Keira Knightley as, as the main female lead. And in the movie, there is Keira Knightley as, as a female lead. And then in the background, we have Zoe Saldana. Mm-hmm. And but really for the majority of the film, it's a lot like that original Star Wars where there's only going to be one woman on screen. And uh, what did you guys think of her and kind of the way that she, I mean, literally she's carrying the female you know, torch in this film. How do you think that she pulls it off and, and kind of what they give her character to do? I in, enjoyed it. I mean, she's uh, uh, a strongly written character, I think. She she has her moments of tenderness and softness, but then she's also very strong-willed and very firm about what she wants. She's not stupid. Um, you know, as a, as a female character to want to really like and emulate, she's a pretty good candidate, in my opinion. Yeah, I liked her a lot. I think she's... Um... I'm a big fan of Kira Knightley's. I like her a lot. Um, and I think that this was a great role for her to play because it really plays on her um, ability to play a stubborn, headstrong woman mm. who's independent um, and just does what she wants. And that's one of the things that I love about this movie. Like she's totally willing to tie a bunch of sheets together and climb out the window on a ship into the <laughs> middle of the ocean to go after somebody if she feels that that's right. And I love that she is very active. She's not passive um, at all. She's a very active female character. So the fact that there's just one female character is kind of all right because we get Elizabeth Swan in this movie. Right. Um, I think you, why you love Keira Knightley and what you said about her kind of stubborn headstrong is why I love her in Pride and Prejudice. That's Mm -hmm. a whole other podcast. But that's why I love her as Elizabeth Bennett because when I read the book, that's how I see Elizabeth is being... A woman not of her time. She's ahead of her time. That's why people love her still is because she's not willing to just follow the traditions of, of, you know, being the woman who has to get married and all that. She has opinions. She's strong-headed. She's strong-willed. And, and Kira Knightley does that better than just about anyone, I think. And she does it with such grace and finesse that, you, you know, you're if if you're a guy, you're not offended by it at all, you know? Hmm. Um, and I had fallen in love with her and Bendit like Beckham. Yeah, me too. I had seen her and, and uh, loved her. Exactly. And that's really the only thing that I had seen her in before this came out. And so, and of course, if you didn't know it, she was actually in The Phantom Menace. Um, she plays uh, one of Padme's uh, mm-hmm. decoys. And it's kind of funny because they're kind of hard to tell. Yes. Yeah. She tell does look when a they're lot all like Natalie Portman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually like her a lot better as an actress and just in general, but yeah. So I, I loved that they had her, um, in this role. And I think again, this is a a movie that really just put her on the map, you know, the same way it kind of put Johnny Depp back on the map. This really put Keira Knightley on the map as that, um, She's a, she can be an action adventure hero, yeah. you know, and she kind of is because one of the next movies she does is um, uh, King Arthur, where she plays Guinevere, yeah. but a really kind of kick-ass Guinevere compared to the other ones. Um, and of course, she's in love, actually, actually which is one of my favorite all-time movies she's, ever. She's in Domino, right? Yeah, she's in Domino. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she does a lot of that. She's in the jacket. So she plays a lot of these really, you know, strong female characters that um at the same time i think they don't take anything away from her femininity which is is a really tough line to walk and they, i think they 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 kind of really nail it here i don't want to be in a corset and <laughs> i don't feel like women should have to be either so uh yeah i, I was glad when she was able to break out of that in the movie <laughs> Well, and uh, going back to Zoe Saldana really quickly, I think this was one of the first things I had seen her in. Um, and I really think she steals the scenes that she's in. I mean, she's constantly slapping Jack Sparrow. Um, and she, on her own, she doesn't get a ton of screen time, but I think she's also another great example of she's an active female character. She's a member of the crew. She's the one that steers the ship. 
Um, so even though she's not in the movie a ton, uh, it was good to see a secondary female character that also wasn't passive. Yeah, no, I would agree with you on, on that. Uh, for, for me, she doesn't steal the scenes, but I, I agree with you in terms of her female presence. Yeah. This may be my actually my favorite role of hers. I don't love Zoe Saldana as an actress. Oh. She doesn't usually sell me in her roles. Um, she's okay as Ohura, but the way they write her is really frustrating. Yeah, I agree with that point, um, for so sure. So that's not necessarily her fault, yeah. but even just her portrayal. or And, and I... I don't really love her, and and I know people are going to kill me. I do not love her in Guardians. I think she's the weakest part of the film um, because she doesn't sell me um, in her emotional scenes. But that's just me. No, no, I think it's uh, Karen Gillian who's the weakest in that movie. (laughs) Uh, Karen Gillian doesn't even, yeah, and that's the other problem too, is she really gets nothing to do in that movie. No, she really Um, didn't have anything to do. You could have any robot in that film. It didn't have to be Karen Gillian, which is disappointing because huge Dr. Foo fan and Amy is my favorite. Oh no, Rory. And... What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, I love Rory. I love them together. I those are my favorite companions. So but again, that's a whole yeah. other show. We just get Donna. Um Orlando Bloom. Orlando I mean, Bloom. The, yeah. Um this is right in his rise to fame. Yep. He had just done Lord of the Rings, um, the first two, and he gets a whole other big I mean it becomes a franchise, but you know, he really hits it big again what did you guys think about him being in the movie and and kind of i mean at this point he's the hot new guy mm-hmm. you know i mean so yeah he is the fresh young thing the bright shiny penny uh yeah to tell you honestly and again i might get it for this is i actually think i kind of like him in this movie i like his character in this movie more than i like legolas to tell you honestly hey, that's okay i can understand uh, yeah because again i find his I, I find him in this very charming uh whereas you know legolas always has that sort of very cold exterior kind of thing and in this in this character he gets to be yes sort of uh, the the action hero hot guy but he also has those moments of tenderness as well and i really enjoy uh his characterization in this movie more than the character of legolas Yeah, I am not a big fan of Orlando, Um, but this, I think, is his best work, uh, at least that I've seen. I'll be honest, I haven't seen a ton of his stuff because I'm not a big fan, Um, but I agree with you, Alice. I think he feels more relaxed in this role than he ever did as Legolas, and I think he's great in it. Uh, He brings the dashing at just Mm. the right points. it's definitely my favorite piece of Orlando Bloom work. So I'll give it to him. He's good in this movie. <laughs> See, I think I think we're Alice, you and I are slowly turning Megan. She by the time we're done, she's gonna love this movie more than she thought she did. Well, okay, so I will say since we're it's been brought up, um I do enjoy this movie. It's just not my favorite movie. And it's definitely my favorite among the Pirates movies. But on the whole, I'm just not super wild about the Pirate movies. Um, but I do enjoy this movie. I had a fun. I had fun watching it. Um, but it's not one that I go to. I hadn't seen it until since it was in the movie theater. Oh my <laughs> until we started to prep for this podcast. So it had been, what, 12 years since I yeah, had seen this movie? That's crazy to me. Um, and I remember enjoying it in the theater, but it's just, for whatever reason, wasn't the top of my things to watch list. Mm. Well, it's probably good that you're here then, because otherwise, Alice and I would just be like, gushing the whole time about like oh do you remember this part and then do you remember this part and people would be like best oh pirate God, ever boring. yeah yeah that's got to be the best pirate i've, I've ever seen, seen. Um, you know i i i might actually agree with you this could be orlando bloom's best work yeah and it is because i think you're completely right he is so relaxed here um you can tell he's having fun think, yes yes and who would not be having, I mean, could you not be having fun hanging out with Johnny Depp, goofing off all day? <laughs> and you know Johnny is probably like improvising lines all day, and you're trying to play off of that, and half the time you're probably just cracking up. Um, and the other time you're getting to sword fight and and play pirate, just like you're a you know, five-year-old kid in your backyard with your sisters and brothers, you know? Like, it's like every kid's dream. I and so, um, 
But on top of that, I, I think he does. He doesn't have to have that emotional reserve he has as playing an elf. And so he gets to let loose and just have a good time. And he plays such a likable guy. Yeah, you know, I does. mean, he really is. He's he's kind of dashing. He's kind of debonair, all in a slightly geeky way. <laughs> all, you know, so it's like every, you know, geek girl's dream. Yeah, it's uh, hard not to root for him as it, a character. Yeah. Like, it's you really want to root for him. Yeah. Exactly. He's the underdog yeah. that well, you want to win. Yeah. For sure. You want him to get the girl. Right. And playing against Captain Lorrington, you know, you want him to be the guy that, that gets the girl in the end. You know, it, and it, it, it just, this movie is full of tropes that they find a way to make work completely. Yeah. It doesn't bother me at all. Um, no. And I, I, t- I take issue with the whole trope thing that's the hot topic these days um but you know even if it's a if it's a cliche or a trope or something you've seen a million times if you're selling it and you're doing a good job selling it who the f cares yeah well and it's become a trope for a reason too right because some so many Mm -hmm. people have done it well to begin with it's just when you get lazy and rely on the trope right that people have legitimate reason reason to complain right and you don't do it well. And I think that's the thing we're talking about here is that we feel like they're doing all of them well. So it doesn't wash over your mind. You're not brought to the fact, oh, they're just doing the, you know, the the guy that's not at the right station gets the girl in the end. You know, we're not thinking about any of that because we're having such a good time and enjoying the film. And that's good filmmaking because most of filmmaking is really tropes. I mean... George Lucas, Star Wars, it's all archetypal mm-hmm. characters. It's what George does of putting it all together that makes you forget all of yeah. that. Right. I mean, I would and I it, would say most storytelling is tropes for the reason that you just gave. I mean, we have an expectation and most of us want the story to go in the direction that we want it to go in, right? We have expectations about how things are going to turn out. And for the most part, we want them to turn out that way. And with a really talented storyteller, if they don't turn out that way and you give us a twist or take us somewhere else, then we're perfectly okay with it because you did a good job. But if you're like, this is what's going to happen in this movie and they totally twist it, you're left cold because you're like, wait, what? What just happened? I don't even understand what's going on right now. So I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a, a great discussion too. Just it, it takes a lot of guts to make a, a, a good movie. And it, it takes a lot of... There's just something special about movies that work. You yeah. know, they, they yep. have the it. Whatever the it is, the magic. they've got it. The mm-hmm. magic. Exactly. It is movie magic. Yeah. So And Disney's pretty good at that they a are. lot. Yeah. Not always, but a lot. So... Um, and then, you know, kind of rounding out the cast of, of big names, you know, Jeffrey Rush had really had a big comeback at this point and he was doing everything and he's playing this, you know, half toothed pirate and again, awesome yeah. casting. So yeah. good. He's so good in that movie. And again, he looks like he's having the time of his life being in this movie, which is one of the things I love the most about seeing a movie is when you can tell an actor is just giving it 110% because they're loving the whole experience and you can just totally see that coming from him in this I know when you get to say lines like well I am disinclined to acquiesce to your request I mean like of course you're gonna love your job I mean the movie has it's just so clever in its writing you know, I would kill to be able to say those lines. You know, I mean, that's just such a well-written film. Or when he screams at Kira Knightley that she's in a ghost story. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's just so great. Um, and everything is is working together to to sell it because one of the things I think that they do with this movie is that they do kind of wink at the camera, like we know how ridiculous all this is, uh, but it doesn't matter. You know, they're doing their best to make everything as as realistic looking as possible with the CGI they have and all that. But at the same time, we're realizing that we're going into a movie called Pirates of the Caribbean that's made by Disney. We're not supposed to take this uber seriously. Right. And that's okay. And and each one of these people is giving us a performance 
that completely fits in with that mold of making what I liked. You know, those 80s adventure films like Indiana Jones and all that kind of stuff. This kind of fits really within that mold. Um, and I think that's what makes it feel so special for a lot of us who grew up in that time period, but even kind of introduced a lot of kids back into those type of films. Um, you know, this might be one of the first genre type of films that kids had seen at this point. Um, and with the resurgence of Lord of the Rings with fantasy and then something like this, you know, I mean, this is when geek chic is really starting to happen. It's true. Absolutely true. I can't even think of the the last pirate movie before this one. <laughs> and anyone might have known what uh, Mutiny on the Bounty. Island. I mean, like, what yeah, Cutthroat Island. Yes, Cut exactly. Island. Yeah, with, oh my god, Regina I totally David. forgot about Gina Davis. I was oh. and Matthew Modine. Oh. It was so terrible. Oh my god. I was her for Halloween one year. <laughs> yeah, it's so Ouch. terrible Such a bad that it's movie. good. I love it. Right, exactly. <laughs> that kind of love. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one out there that is a fan of that movie. <laughs> no, because I just like pirates. Yeah. Like, um, as a and, and and just confessional here, as a kid, I loved Legos, and they had pirate Legos when I was mm. growing up. That was a big thing. They're back now, but I loved pirate Legos, and so when we got to this movie, it was bringing me back to being a kid, really, <laughs> and sitting on the floor playing with my pirate Legos, and. I who I, Treasure Island mm-hmm. kidnapped, kidnapped you know from Disney yep. this this really harkens back to all of those great classics and pays homage to them and the stupid ride yeah which is so <laughs> awesome I mean literally have scenes pulled from the from the, the, the yeah. ride like with the dog with the keys I mean yep. it's they did a great job so of that. fantastic yeah. well the only thing that's kind of a shame is that when the when the pirates are attacking the town you see the homages to the ride back when the pirates were chasing the women around um i don't know how recently you've been on the ride but when i was on it about 10 years ago they've reversed them so now the women are chasing the pirates around so kids who watch the movie yeah because it was sexist i know that's exactly why they did it but because completely reversing it doesn't make it not sexist. I know, it doesn't make it not sexist. I know, it's like a whole, we could, I could talk for hours It doesn't hours make it this. fit with the story either. No, right? it doesn't. It doesn't make any yeah. sense. Um, but that's what's happened. So now kids watching the movie are not going to get that. Because there's definitely a full pirate lady in a costume that appears in the ride. Oh, gosh. And like, he's chasing her down the street. Now that lady in the ride is chasing the pirate down the street. Yeah. That is funny to me. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't fix the problem. No, guys. it does not fix the problem. It does no. not take away the weird rapey feelings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, you just get the feeling that that poor pirate's about to get right. it's dressed a, up by this woman. Yeah, it's a the different ladies all have feeling. brooms when they're chasing the pirates. So it's like, that's yeah. almost worse, oh guys. That's almost oh, worse. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, because I rode the ride when I was like six or seven. And then I was back in Disney about mm, 10 years yeah. ago now. And I, but I can't remember that scene. But that's really, really yeah. funny. Yeah, they switched. Yeah. At least they did at Disney really World. Funny. I haven't been to Disneyland in okay. way too long. I won't say yeah. how long. But at Disney World, they've reversed yeah. the, that. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, I've been to the Disneyland twice, and so. Um, but it is funny because now the ride has all of these things that allude yes. to the films, yes, not just the ride anymore. So it all kind of works together, and and it be interesting, you know, the kids that have no idea that that's not how it always was you know um so that was one of my favorite rides at disney that's just a great ride (laughs) it is a great ride it's so much fun and it's got air conditioning which is important in southern california when it's hot um so you know when it it's really hot and like yeah yeah muggy there that's a perfect ride to be yeah it's true (laughs) well we were we were talking earlier and I, I, you know, cobbling together this story um, because it, it is a really interesting thing of taking how are you going to create a story based off of a, a, a ride and, and how good can that be? But what I thought was interesting and, and this this sadly only came to me this time <laughs> watching the film. But there's kind of this strange paradise lost for pirates in here where, you know, they they take this forbidden treasure, this forbidden fruit. Um, and they 
the treasure kind of curses. I mean, it curses them. Yep. Uh, the kind of curse of sin, and they're walking around as corpses. They can never enjoy the fruits of life again uh, until they, you know, find a way to pay for their treasure with blood. I mean, it, it's yeah. it's a really kind of deep, interesting storyline in a movie that's goofy about pirates. Yeah, well, and right, what does Barbosa want to eat? He wants to an eat apple. an apple. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man, so. I didn't even think about that. Yep, yep. My friends are so smart. <laughs> well, that's why. I mean, I think it's, again, I think they, they were just so clever. And I love it when when filmmakers use those kinds of things, but don't hit you over the head with it. So it may be the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth time that you're, that, that it's so many layered that you can enjoy the film over and over again because you're discovering something new or you're making a new connection or a new realization. Um, yeah, I think they did just such a good job. Gush, gush, gush. <laughs> well, and and that is, I, I love that what you said, Alice, is because I like that too, because I like my movies to say something to me and kind of teach me something without hitting me over the mm-hmm. head with it. And so this movie, yeah, I've seen it like a trillion times and it just taught me something else that I, I didn't see before. And it reminds me in life that there are those things that are kind of forbidden for a reason. And when we grab them and we take a hold of them, they kind of mess with they us do things to us they do they ruin us you know and it makes it harder to enjoy the things in life that we thought we were going to get because of them you know um yeah what an amazing message for a movie that is you know it, it's about pirates and and so par- pirates do paradise lost yeah it, <laughs> it it can teach kids a whole new lesson without them even realizing that they're being taught a lesson well, and you really have to give the writers a lot of credit because they could have been, I could see people sitting in a writer's room just being totally paralyzed by, okay, write a movie based on this ride that has literally no story. And they, the beauty of it is they had a blank slate. And so they really could do anything that they wanted to. And they made it work so well because of those tie-ins that they brought into the movie from the ride, those little nods from the ride. Yeah. But the fact that you can tell they just went for it, did something totally new and unique, and just happened to put it under this Pirates of the Caribbean flag, I think is kind of what makes... I think it makes the movie work really nicely. Yeah, I mean, they... Uh, and of course, I don't know. And I, I although I have listened to the commentaries, um, it, it seems to me like they came up with a great story. Yeah. And then figured out how to do the tie-ins. Oh, well, they have to get to the boat. Oh, remember that thing in the ride where they have the boats under them and the guy steps in the cage? You know, oh, we can fit that in here because they have to get from the shore to the boat. Yeah. Oh, they have to go into Tortuga. Oh, well, we can fit that part in from the ride into this part of the story that we've already created versus the reverse and going like, here are all the steps of the ride. We have to build the story around the steps of the ride. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know that for a fact, but that's what it feels like. That's what like it to feels me. like, yeah. Yeah. I no, I I think that you're right on because I, I think that the the story that they created, it it takes all the kind of like meta ideas that we have of pirates that really just don't come from anything other than reading Robert Louis Stevenson and seeing, you know, other Disney films or Earl Flynn movies, things like that. They've taken all those kind of meta ideas and poured it into one movie. And so when we went into Pirates of the Caribbean and we got all the things that we kind of expect and enjoy about pirates in one film done so well, it that's what makes it work. You know, like um, it's a it's like the most piratey pirate movie out there, <laughs> you know, um, without being over the top or or so, you know. They're not pouring too much. It's it's just the right amount of everything to make this story work. And I think one of the biggest things that they did was that they do so much of this on location and so much of this with real ships and give it that reality so it sells that I'm at this place, this Port Royal. I'm on these ships. I'm, you know, on this... You know, the only thing that is I can tell that they've created the fortress out of concrete and they've tried to make it look like, you know, real stones. But 
that's beside the point. I, it's still all, it feels real and it feels like I'm there and I feel like I'm on the ship with Jack and, and everybody else. And I think that really, really helps the whole production value oh, yeah. of this film. Yeah, the sets are amazing. The costumes are so well done. Um, all of their props are just so, they just did a great job of the world building for sure. I agree. I agree. Well, and it's funny too because we're kind of talking about the story and and um, production design. It, as you watch it now, you can literally see where they're like, "Okay, they draw. They talked about this. We can pull that out and use it for a sequel. They talked about this. We can pull that and make it look like we were paying attention and we knew exactly what we were doing." I mean, you can see all the places if you've seen the other films where they've pulled and they've so they could create that trilogy the fourth one is really its own thing but they made that trilogy now and you can see all the bits and pieces they use to kind of create a more what they were hoping would be a more cohesive trilogy that's another podcast but it is interesting that through here though just as this standalone you know it it works so perfectly and um, I think one of the things that helps that along is is the music. Oh yeah, I love yeah, the absolutely. Music. Love it's it. so swashbuckling and adventurous. It is. Although even when I saw it the first time, uh, because I also love Gladiator, it it does <laughs> yes. sound so much like Gladiator yeah, the does. first time that I. But I didn't really mind because I love the score to Gladiator. So I was like, all right, I can go there. But that that main theme, the main pirate theme, I agree with you. Is it's like the perfect swashbuckling theme. Very, very iconic. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't know this, but I was looking up the soundtrack on um, a soundtrack website that reviews them, and, and um, they go very in-depth, and I didn't know this, but they had a lot of problems because they had gotten Zimmer to do the score, but then they couldn't. he couldn't contractually take credit for the score because of an agreement that he had made with another studio at that time. Huh. So that's why it's uh, Klaus... Bedeltz, I think is how you say his name, that actually has credit for the score. And it's not really clear exactly how much of um, the film that Zimmer scored and Klaus scored because we will never know. But I, I think that is really interesting and, and it does really show through that Zimmer was involved, obviously, yeah, it because sounds it sounds like so much yeah. gladiator. Um, and it's funny because he also does... King Arthur and that sounds a lot like both of these like it he was having an issue with repeating himself quite badly mm. but it works enough here and you don't feel like oh I just got the gladiator score and I I have this you know pirates movie and they really sound too much alike yeah I mean after that initial recognition then I I let it go because uh, again that the, the Everything else about the film works so well. It's so well paced. It's so funny. It's you know, a, it's great to look at, and the music doesn't um, come in obtrusively. So you know, once I went like, oh yeah, that sounds a lot like Gladiator. I was like, okay, and let's go on the ride. I'm I'm good. Let's just let's do this thing. <laughs> You're right, Megan. I think too is that. I think this music just works yeah, for the film. It does. I love this soundtrack. I still listen to it every once in a while. You know, as I'm working during the day, sometimes um, I, I'll just have soundtrack music playing in the background, which is great. And I just love listening to this one. I think it's a lot of fun because it 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 has the swashbuckling feel and kind of the like slight horror tint to it that it needs as well because of you know the storyline that's happening here. I, I think it's beautiful. And if you don't have it, you definitely need it for your collection soundtrack collection yeah <laughs> because it is really fantastic um we talked a little bit about the production value and i wanted to kind of ask you what y'all think about um a, you know this movie has skeletal pirates throughout a lot of it um how do you guys think that kind of still holds up when we're you know watching it today does it still does it still work for you that was one of the things about the movie that didn't really work for me from the get-go. Um, because for me, when I was watching it the first time, and I think it was the same when I was watching it this time around, um, some of the scenes dragged on for me when they were in their zombie forms. 
um, especially the scene where Elizabeth first realizes what's happening and she's being tossed about the ship. I'm like, okay, yeah, this this scene could end now. Um, and then during the different sword fights where they're moving through the tunnels of moonlight, um, because you can see that coming from a mile away, or at least I felt like I could see that coming from a mile away. Um, it still looks pretty good. Um, it, I think it does show a little bit of its age, um, but maybe that's because I wasn't a big fan of it in the first place. Um, but it doesn't look terrible by any stretch of the imagination. I think it just shows its age a little bit. Yeah, I think it's hard with um, special effects for me because I'm not a, I'm not a huge connoisseur, let's say, uh, and I don't necessarily have a super sharp eye. And on top of that, I'm a person who, if you can pull me into the story, I'm going to forgive you for a whole bunch of shit. (laughs) And for me, this movie, and I would agree with you now that you've said that, there are a couple of scenes, especially leading up to the third act, that I feel like they could have tightened up a bit. Um, Hearing you say that reminded me of it. Uh, But generally speaking, there's enough uh, action and fun and cleverness going on um, that I really wasn't analyzing the special effects you know it didn't really give me time to sit there and go like gosh darn it I can see that line in the screen and that doesn't you know it just didn't occur to me to do that when I think that's a good that's a good measure of special effects you know if they're not taking you out of the movie making you think of the special effect itself then it's doing its job it's not there to be like it shouldn't be there to like yeah look at how amazing the special effect is it should be look at how amazing the story is um, and how it's flowing so well. And I think that's what they're able to pull off for the most part with the effects here. And I think even um, now, as you can tell, it's not as refined, obviously, as it would be at this point. Uh, It kind of works a little bit for me because um, these are, you know, like cursed people. So, you know, I can can retcon. I, I can make it work in my mind even now that yeah that this, it, it, that's the way it looks because that's what this curse looks like for these people so you know I, I love that it, it even fits to me with the story I don't, I don't worry about it when I'm watching it I'm not pulled out yeah um, yeah it just totally pull it's one of the things that just totally pulls me out of the movie unfortunately I just it didn't to me it didn't make sense to me it was it did that thing that you said it doesn't do for you where I felt like they were like, look what we can do with the special effects. You know, I'm I'm glad it, I'm probably I'm glad I'm in the minority. I'm glad you guys can enjoy it. It just it just pulls me out of the movie, which is disappointing. Well, and what's really interesting too is a, about these special effects is that at this point they're doing Return of the King mm. and they're doing the Paths of the Dead, and oh, they've been working kind of on their stuff it? with the mm. Paths of the Dead, and those guys. At Weta, we're like, have you seen what this trailer for Pirates of the Caribbean? And they had to change what it looked like because it it looked pretty much exactly wow. the same. So they had to completely redo their effects so that it didn't just look like they were copying wow. what Disney had done and what ILM had done um, with uh, you know Pirates of the Caribbean. And so yeah, it's it is. I think it's really interesting because. It, you know, you start thinking about that kind of stuff and it's really, that's, that's weird. You know, <laughs> that, like you think of effects companies and them having to try not to copy each other or feel like right. they're copying each other. And, um, yeah, I ended up, I actually like what they do in, um, Lord of the Rings films. I, I think it works really well. Um, and so I'm kind of glad that they had to make that change because, I think that look kind of works better for that universe mm. than this look would have worked for, you know. Yeah. Mm. Um, I would agree with so, you. Yeah. Yeah. So that, you know, it, it it all worked together and I think it all works well. And um, as a standalone movie, obviously there are sequels, but this movie wasn't planned to have sequels because they didn't know if it would work. Obviously they had done Country Bears and nobody had gone seen it. Because the movie sucked. So um, they poured more money into this and it was a bigger production. But still, if it didn't, you know, they didn't know if it would work. So what do you kind of think um, about the film just as a standalone? 
uh, for itself. I would refer to this as the only Pirates of yeah. the Caribbean movie, much like I would say that there's really only one Matrix movie. Yeah. I completely yeah. agree. I, I see. I, I agree with you there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, once we get to the second one, conversely, where I feel like this this first one is very cleverly written, and you can sort of see where they're bringing in the ride elements, uh, but it's done very cleverly with that sort of comedic sort of nod to the ride. By the time I'm watching the second one. Then it's more like, oh, they're going to make a ride out of that. Like yeah. that scene's only in there because <laughs> so they're going to they make a ride, ride out of that scene, right? And so then it's it, it feels like there's less focus on the really excellent storytelling and more focus on these other things that Disney has planned for the franchise. And so it it loses its charm for me at that point because it feels disingenuous. Yeah, it's lo- it loses its sparkle by the second movie yeah. for sure. Yeah, t- I, I completely agree. I don't. I've, I have only seen the second Pirates movie. I have had zero interest in seeing any of the other ones because I was so disappointed in the second one. Um, like, I mean, because like I said, I didn't love this movie, but I enjoyed it enough to go see the sequel. And then I felt completely disappointed by it. So I was like, all right, franchise, I'm done with you. <laughs> um, but I will still watch this first one for sure. I think that, you know, I don't hate the other ones. And I actually, I think the third one's pretty decent because it makes for a really interesting story by the end. But that middle one just isn't as good. And and for a lot of film series, I enjoy the middle film the mm-hmm. most. You know, like, I from the moment I saw all the Star Wars films, Empire Strikes Back has always been my favorite. Um, and it's not because it was a bandwagon. I was eight. So, <laughs> you know, you, yeah, it's been the same ever since. Um, I like the two towers the best. I think that's the best. Um, I like Desolation of Smaug the best. You know, um, uh, you know. So a lot of times, uh, I liked for um, Catching Fire way better than I liked the original because it was um, awesome. Really, yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> I can't watch any of those um, movies, <laughs> especially compared to the first movie. I thought so. Yeah, a lot of times I enjoy the second parts of of a trilogy because it's really deepening the story and everything and and this the second one and this one just doesn't do that for me um even though i i actually kind of enjoy the third one i had to go back and rewatch them because it's been a long time but um this movie i do think is proof positive that you really don't need to go and make sequels no you don't um sometimes it is just better to have an amazing standalone film because it can never be denigrated, you know, and I think that's what's unfortunate for a lot of people that happened to this is that this great film got brought down because everybody else just looked at it with the sequels. And I think, Alice, you bringing up The Matrix is <laughs> proof positive because by the time we got to the very last Matrix film, I was so mad mm-hmm. that they had made other films yeah. because the second one wasn't terrible. But then the third one was so terrible, I thought, yeah. that I was just like, you ruined the original Matrix. Although, again, that original Matrix as a film totally holds up. Yeah. Totally Great. holds, totally up. holds yeah. up. Yeah. It just took me so, so long to be able to watch it again. Oh. <laughs> I, I only it hate the exactly. fifth element ending, but other than that, I love that movie. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I, I think that's the danger, and I... You know, uh, I think a lot of studios just don't realize that that you, if you make a great first film, um, we don't always need a second yeah. one. Lots of times we don't. Um, Cars two didn't need to exist. <laughs> uh, you know, things like that. You know, so just be careful because these standalone films you, that will last for a long time. I, I think this is probably I can't think of a better pirates movie. You know, except for maybe the old Disney ones like Treasure Island or Swiss Family Robinson kind of thing. You know, those are the classics that I think of when I think of pirate movies alongside this original. And so, yeah, uh, you know, studios, if you're listening, which you're probably not, (laughs) but just maybe take some advice from from just three people who spend a lot of money at the movies. Yeah, gosh darn it. We do. (laughs) And talking about movies. We really do. Exactly. Um, we don't always need a sequel. Yeah. And uh, sometimes it would just be better served if you create one cohesive, great story and then move on to something else. So, I And I would just say, too, I think we're all saying, look, 
if you didn't like the other Pirates movies, that doesn't mean you can't like Curse of the Black Pearl because it is great. And Alice, you agree with me? <laughs> this movie completely holds up when you watch it. I mean, you're not going to... And even Megan, you don't love it. But I but still, you still enjoy, enjoy it. watching yes, it. Yes, I do. Yeah. I will admit it. So, <laughs> Well, and, and I think that's the hallmark of a good movie that even people who don't love the film can still enjoy watching. Yeah, there's definitely a and lot to enjoy, so... Yeah. yeah. Well, I am so glad that I got to have you back on because you know we walked through the hobbit trilogy together and that was a lot of fun maybe we'll do the lord of the rings trilogy together sometime um and i look forward we've actually megan and i we we talked i'm i'm actually gonna get educated on educating geeks um down the road right um we're gonna be covering the mammoth book dune Mm -hmm. um but it's gonna be later on in the year so we'll let y'all know more about that um but guys pirates of the caribbean awesome curse of the black pearl it's not the only thing we've been talking about today here on Track FM. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have lists elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. It's not an overstatement, and you had said in your introduction that without without him and his hand guiding all of this, then then it's unlikely that two would have been what it was and if it had not been successful then it, it you know it probably would have meant the end of star trek at that point earl gray like i'm expecting ricardo martablon to like walk around the corner and be like captain picard welcome this is rise of five the shuttlecraft the shuttlecraft the orb curzon is involved with the kittimer yep. courts Spock is at Kittimer when those are being talked about, so you would think they would have run into each other They probably hung out in the bar together. To the journey! One guy's like, why don't we just write better stories for Wesley? And then the lead writer's like, you out now! (laughs) The Ready Room. The movie series would not have relaunched and, and become what it was if not for the amazing bounce of... The Wrath of Khan. The Wrath of Khan was to Star Trek the same thing that uh, The Best of Both Worlds was to Next Generation. Commentary, Trek stars. It's also the end of a character and a thing that is really about how uh, death is just a part of life. And that while there's an end, it doesn't mean that it's the end. Literary Treks. I've always liked the... uh, I like that episode for... I mean, it's one of the most derided of the of the original series episodes, but yet I always it has a place in my heart for some reason. I've always enjoyed watching mm-hmm. it over. So um, I wanted to do something with those guys, the Scalbians. The 602 Club. Like, I, I could kind of dismiss Droids in Distress and Fight or Flight and everything like that, and I was just kind of watching the background, but all of a sudden I started catching myself, like, stopping working and, <laughs> and just focusing on watching. And, uh, and so it just got better and better and better. And I think I was hooked by episode four, Breaking Ranks. That's when I was like, okay, I like this show. This is good. Warp 5. In the history of Axanar, Alec Peters and Christian Gossett wrote a section of the history dealing with the Arcanus campaign. And in the Arcanus campaign, a majority of Starfleet ships were destroyed. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all these shows and find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. Guys, you know that we're wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, please do me this favor. Hit the subscribe button and give me a star rating and review for the show. I appreciate so much when people do that. It really does help us out. In fact, I went on to iTunes just the other day and Jay Loho had given us a five-star review and was really thankful for our even-handed discussion of Man of Steel and just kind of the way we're respectful of each other on the show. And we have laid back conversation. And I really appreciated that because it's exactly what I want for this show for you guys. Because um, we don't try to be haters here because there's enough of that out in the world. Um, we just want to talk about the things that we do love and politely criticize the things that we don't. Um, and so I really appreciate when you guys help us out that way on iTunes. But if you're not an Apple user... We've got you covered as well. We're on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from the website and grab that RSS link as well. Now girls, 
I want y'all to have the opportunity to tell everybody where to find y'all online and about Educating Geeks because if y'all aren't listening to Educating Geeks, why? (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for saying that. Um, Yeah, we hope that you guys will listen to Educating Geeks. We do something very similar to what Matthew's doing here on 602 Club where we talk about some of our favorite topics. It can be a movie, a TV show, a video game. We recently covered the board game Settlers of Catan. Um, And the whole concept is we want to bring new people into our favorite fandom. So every week on our show, somebody is participating in whatever the thing is for the very first time. And then we have polite discussions. We don't always agree about how much we love whatever that topic is. Um, So you get to hear passionate fans and maybe people who have a different point of view from time to time. Um, So if you're interested in listening, you can find us at educatinggeeks.com. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google Plus, and Instagram. And we keep all of our new episodes up to date on all of those social networks. So make sure to check us out. And then do you both have um, separate places like on Twitter where people can follow you as well? Yes, um, you can find me at on Twitter at at Meg Calcote. That's M-E-G-C-A-L-C-O-T-E. And I am A-L-C-B-K-R just about everywhere on the internet. Awesome. That's great. Well, it's so fun because I was listening to the show the other day where you all did about the newest Tomb Raider game. Oh, yes. mm-hmm. And it was so much fun because I was remembering how much I freaking love that <laughs> game and the frustration of going down that river and dying a thousand <laughs> times. Um, yeah. So that, man, and I can't, I'm so hoping that the new Tomb Raider game will be on 360 because I just don't want to go out and buy a new console yeah. just so I can play one freaking game. I'm with you, so, Matthew. Me too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just pray that that happens. <laughs> I think your I think your chances are good since I heard that they're porting it to the PS3. So I think you're probably in good shape okay. for the Xbox 360. Well, yeah, that's good because you know I I don't play a lot of games, but I've loved the Tomb Raider games for a long time now, going all the way back I think to like Underworld. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, was the the first one that I really played, and then I followed it all since. And that last one was so good, um, just a great reboot of the entire series. And then they're doing a great comic series now with um, Gail Simone writing, mm. which is like Batman, big, yeah, Batwoman Bat- yeah, that's yeah. that's that's yeah. a big deal. <laughs> yeah, so very big deal. So I, it was so much fun to listen to you guys. Um, maybe y'all should do the the um, Tomb Raider comic sometime for somebody. Yeah, that's a great that idea. That's a great up, idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, guys, uh, thank you so much for being on. And another way that um, you can help us here on Trek FM is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. And this is important because we are a listener-supported network. And, and without you guys and your support, you know, it's too hard for us to do this on our own. Um, it, it costs a lot for the cost that we have for everything of of creating the shows the software to make the shows um the storage space for the shows all of that it, it does take money and so we really appreciate y'all supporting us you can visit patreon.com slash trek fm and find out about all the current goals and milestone contribution levels in fact was just contacting my associate producers um, for my shows so i can get them dropboxed early access to content so they'll be getting my shows early before anybody else um you can also get um producer credit seats on the content development team and more uh, again if you ha- want all the details just check out patreon.com slash fm and because of that i'd like to thank my associate producer norman c Lau, for his support of the show he's been a big supporter of mine and this show you've heard him on a bunch of times he's on twitter at norman Lau, and of course he's a big supporter of the star trek axonar project can be found on their official facebook page as well as the Babel Conference. And last but not least, he's a huge supporter of the network on Patreon and now the host of Work 5. Love, Kenneth Tripp. Thank you so much for your support of the show and the network. I really appreciate your um, just believing in the 602 Club. If you'd like to contact us, just do that at trek.fm slash contact. You can leave us a voicemail on the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. We're on Twitter at trek.fm. Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm and of course the Babel Conference. It's a great place to have great 
discussion about all the things we talk about on Trek FM, and it's a listeners-only group. So only you, the listeners, know about it, which means it's private and we get to have very respectful, awesome conversations. So join us there. Just search the Babel Conference in that search field on Facebook, or you can go to the website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. Now, you can find me at MattRushing02 on Twitter. You can also find me doing The Orb with Christopher Jones, where I talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine with him. Uh, You can also find me doing Literary Treks with Dan, where we talk about the books and comics of Star Trek. And then I have my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? 